I am an economist by trade. Uh, so started in the hotel industry uh, in 2010. Uh, by 2015, 2018, um, uh, 2015, CBRE had bought the company I was working for. So CBRE, uh, for those that you don't know, is the world's largest uh, commercial real estate company. Uh, Fortune 150, sort of massive company, 100,000 people working there. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Jamie Lane, Vice President of Research at AirDNA. After spending a decade at CBRE, one of the country's largest American commercial real estate services and investment firms, Jamie was itching for a change. He had always loved the hospitality space and the short-term rental space in particular. So when he got a call from Scott Shafford, the founder of AirDNA, about joining the team, Jamie couldn't say no. Tune in to hear Jamie's thoughts on how savvy STR hosts should be using pricing strategies to increase their occupancy rates, how STR hosts should balance OTAs and the building of their own brands, and get Jamie's hot takes on the future of travel and hospitality. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Jamie Lane. Okie dokie, Jamie. We're live, dude. I know how you're doing, and you're not doing that well because you are—you've been banished <laughs> from your house. You're in a short-term rental right now, after what catching COVID at VRMA, Verma. Uh, how, yeah. what, what do people call it? How do people say it? Uh, Verma. Verma. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I came home, uh, started feeling a little sick, and uh, unfortunately, the the worst part of it, like getting COVID, it's like. And we're all dealing with it. Yeah. But we had to cancel my five-year-old's birthday party on Saturday, oh. which was just crushing uh, uh, to see his face when I told him that we we couldn't have people over. Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, that's still crushing. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Is, he, is he probably like, you got to get a new job, dad. Like, come on. It's time for you to stop <laughs> traveling so much. <laughs> no, it's like, uh, but we could still do it in like a couple of weeks, right? And like, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll reschedule. Well, there we go. So. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. an, an optimistic fellow there. That's great. That's what I like to hear. Right. <laughs> um, well, dude, I am excited for this chat because I've followed you a little bit um, and I've followed AirDNA longer. And um, but you're actually the first person from the company that I've had the opportunity to speak with. So I'm I'm just pumped for this chat. I actually wanted to to get started by hearing a little bit about the podcast that you just launched. So I believe it's called STR Data Lab. Um, and I'm curious, like where I li I did listen to the first episode, which was great. What I appreciated is yeah. it was like nice, short, bite sized uh, pieces of content, super actionable. <laughs> um, it, it it felt more. It felt a little bit like an NPR sort of like. Um, whatever the hell their podcast is, uh, uh, first, not first look, whatever, wake, their the, the morning podcast. Up, up first. Up first, yeah. thank you, first look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I appreciated sort of the format of it. So what's what's the story behind the pod? Like where, where'd the idea come from? Yeah, so um, at AirDNA, we, we've got a lot of data nerds uh, at our company. Uh, we like to dig in deep to the data. We like to talk with people uh, that dig in deep. Uh, and we thought that they're, uh, was an audience for and just and talking more in depth about the economy, about industry performance, about how people are leveraging data to make better decisions within their business. Uh, and we're and there's a lot of podcasts out there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Uh, um, but we thought there was some white space out there for and just focusing on the data and, yeah. and providing an outlet for people that. I want to dig in deep with us. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be a, a variety of formats. One, I'm Ryan, and I, my co-host, our VP of marketing, just talking about data and trends, uh, sort of the news of the moment. Uh, and then Mariah is going to do a variety of uh, interviews with uh, maybe individual up and coming hosts hmm. and sort of how they're sort of building their business. And then uh, I've also got a series where I'm uh, interviewing uh 
more uh, pros in the space. Mm. So institutional investors, uh, people deploying large amounts of capital, uh, managing or investing in hundreds of units and sort of how they're really looking at the data. What are they pacing at? How are they underwriting deals? How is their sort of strategy uh, forming to um, operate in the short-term rental industry today? Love it. Um, I, I totally agree that there's there's white space for content like that. So glad you guys are stepping in, stepping into this space. Um, I think that folks will garner a lot of value from this. I, I have to ask because um, as a as a podcast host myself, like there are definitely shows and or hosts that I like draw inspiration from, and or you know hosts who have a particular <laughs> style that I that I at least aspire to emulate um, somewhat. I'm curious, like yeah. who who are those hosts or or what what are those shows for you? Yeah. So this one, I, I've got a very specific one that sort of sparked the idea for me. Ooh, um, and it's uh, Nathan Latka. Okay. Uh, so he has a podcast on SaaS businesses. Okay. Uh, and our founder, Scott Shafford, has actually been on the podcast twice. Uh, and the sort of format of that is sort of digging into these businesses, understanding how they're operating, what their revenue's at, how they're growing, how do they structure their business. And for other SaaS businesses, it sort of gives them sort of the tools to think about their own businesses. And if huh. you're not analyzing your churn this way, if you're not thinking about how you structure your sales org, it sort of gives people the sort of framework to think about their own business. And that's how I think about like my interviews with some of these um, uh, sort of pros in the industry. It's like, how are they thinking about their business? And if people can sort of take away from that of like, oh, I haven't analyze my growth that way. I haven't analyzed um, my strategy for acquiring new units that way. Yeah. Maybe I should think about it that way. Love it. Love it. I'm also glad um, you you found something that's somewhat niche to emulate because I think like uh, oftentimes, right, especially when you're just starting off, if you're not used to content, it can be uncomfortable, right? It, it, it can be awkward. All of a sudden, like you're great at a networking event, but all of a sudden when you're now hosting a podcast, you get a little clammy, right? Um, and, but, <laughs> but what I love what I love about folks who, my, my advice to anyone starting a podcast is like, look, find a show that's in a different industry um, than you are, but that you resonate with, you you understand the format, and you feel like, hey, you know what, I could do what this person is doing. You don't need to shoot for like, you know, the Guy Raz's how I built this, you know, uh, o overnight by any means, but like, you know, I, or, or like the daily, right? Um, they, they do such an exceptional job. Th those shows are great. They're also incredibly like highly produced and you know very yep. seasoned hosts. Um, so I always I always tell folks, hey, find a niche podcast, find a host that you think, hey, I could do what they're doing for my industry and start there, uh, and then you just get better as you go. You know the the whole like ten thousand hour rule. Yep. No, I I feel like you're just like looking inside my podcast list of everything and li listening to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great, man. It's great. Uh, or or it just means that we're not that original. Um, you know. <laughs> um, Some so, of the most popular podcasts. In the yeah. World, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like the top ten, like daily. Um, yeah. So one of the things I like to do on on my show, Jamie, is um, I have this like this larger vision for the show of this is sort of the place uh, that, that it's almost akin to the the humans of short-term rentals. You've heard of like the humans of New York, right? I want this to be a space where folks can understand who the who the players, right, in, in the greater SDR space are, and not just like what they've done, but really like, you know, who they are, like who, who are the people that are helping kind of guide the future of the industry. So um, I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about like Jamie Lane and, you know, who who you were, if I were to have met you like five years ago, if we were to <laughs> run, run into yep. each other at like a bar or something like that, and I were to say, hey, dude, you know, what's up? What what do you do? Like, what would you have been doing then? And what were some of the things that you were, you know, paying attention to a few years ago? Yeah. Funny aside, uh, Brandon Stanton and I went to college together at UGA, the, the founder of Humans in New York. No uh, way. So that was a, <laughs> a fun little reference there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, uh, but uh, thinking about me five years ago, so uh, I am an economist by trade, okay. uh, so started in the hotel industry uh, in 2010. Uh, by 2015, 2018, um, uh, 2015, CBRE had bought the company I was working for. So CBRE, uh, for those that you don't know, is the world's largest uh, commercial real estate company. Yeah. Uh, Fortune 150, sort of massive company, 100,000 people working there. Um, 
I came in as a hotel economist, um, really looking to better understand uh, what are the main drivers of hotel demand, hmm. uh, why were some hotels performing, some hotels not, some markets growing, some not, uh, and helping operators of hotels sort of better plan for the future, given what was going to happen in the overall economy. Uh, 2008, I'd been promoted up to uh, director of forecasting for all commercial real estate for CBRE. Wow. Uh, so I was leading a team called CBRE Econometric Advisors, uh, had about uh, nine economists and data scientists. And we we're looking at really all forms of commercial real estate, office, apartment, industrial, retail, uh, and uh, creating forecasts, uh, doing detailed analysis of sort of what's changing real estate. Huh. Uh, so and a broad topic even before COVID was uh, what was flexible work and how was that going to change office use? Um, and what did the uh, needs for office space um, and how did that need to evolve um, and sort of the live, work and play in environment? So people are wanting to live maybe in the same building that they were working in. Um, and um, and and how can commercial real estate sort of evolve to sort of meet uh, consumer needs? Uh, and it was fun. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> uh, we were learning a lot. We were working with and some of the largest investors, sort of deploying and over a trillion dollars in the commercial real estate environment. Jeez. Uh, but for me, I'm. I was missing my hospitality roots. Like I was getting pushed more and more outside of getting to just um, analyze the hotel market. That's how I got in sort of involved in the short-term rental space was originally just uh, digging into the AirDNA data set uh, hmm. and trying to understand how it was impacting traditional hotels. Huh. Wow, dude, what a story. So back, um, going back to your roots here. So at, at what point in time did you, did you realize that you even wanted to work in the hospitality space? Like as an economist, right? You could do a lot of things. What, what was it about this particular space that, that piqued your interest? So, uh, I love to travel. Mm. Uh, I was, uh, uh, a couch surfing host. Uh, so back in oh, wow. 2008, 2009, <laughs> I was sort of, I'm what, I think it was 2010, we hosted the Atlanta couch crash. So invited like 200 travelers from all over the world. And we sort of found housing for them uh, through through parties, sort of hosted people, um, uh, started uh, hosting on, on Airbnb in, in 2011. Hmm. Uh, so really, and from the beginning, I, I love the aspect of getting to travel and meeting other people and then um, being a host uh, here in Atlanta, it was, it was sort of getting that ethos of travel and sort of meeting new people and sort of, uh, learning about other cultures, but g getting to do it from home as well and not needing to always be traveling to sort of, uh, get that excitement that, um, really, uh, motivated me to find work in, in the travel and hospitality space. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it, it's funny. It, it does seem to, it, there, there seems to be these common threads between folks working in this space and, which, which, you know, this is not some sort of grand insight, but typically folks who, who love travel, who have a, a deep heart for like connecting with other people, uh, specifically other people from, from other places, other contexts, other countries. So it's really cool to, to hear that that was, a, that was a part of your story as well. Hey guys, so I have to tell you this really quick story about my experience with short-term rental host guidebooks. So two years ago, my wife Gabby and I were on a podcast roadshow. We were actually collecting stories for this podcast, Behind the Stays, in the greater Asheville area. So we arrived in Asheville a couple of hours before our check-in, and we asked our host if there were any good recommendations for a lunch spot. He responded saying that he had a plethora of recommendations in his guidebook, but that we should certainly check out Wicked Weed Brewing Pub. So we went to the pub and our burgers were absolutely delicious so we couldn't wait to uncover what other recommendations he had in his guidebook but upon arrival there was no guidebook to be found we looked on the kitchen counter the dining room table even the closet of the guest bedroom but nope no guidebook 
Now, we're not that extra, but we were pretty high up in the mountains and the internet service was spotty at best. So it made it really difficult to kind of figure out where we should go to dinner. So after 30 minutes of searching, we sat down on the couch and my wife said, why aren't there digital guidebooks for guests? Well, as it turns out, there are. And our new friends at Touchstay are the industry leaders. Touchstay enables hosts to build beautiful digital guidebooks in a matter of minutes and enhance the guest experience by packaging your recommendations for coffee, wine bars, artisan bakeries, and Michelin star restaurants in a single online location. Guests can access everything through a really simple link. And yes, it works without a Wi-Fi connection. Touchstay allows you to customize your guidebooks to match your brand. You can pick the colors, fonts, and images that best align with your STR, and it only costs $99 a year. Learn more about a plethora of other features they have and start your free trial at touchstay.com forward slash BTS, as in behind the stays. Oh, and while we didn't ever find our Asheville host guidebook, the cleaners did. It was in the trash. Apparently the guests before had spilled a whole pot of coffee on it, and they were so embarrassed that they threw the whole guidebook away. I guess it was a blessing in disguise though, because we told our host about Touchstay, and a year later, when we went back to his cabin, Touchstay was there, and it was absolutely perfect. So start your free trial of Touchstay at touchstay.com forward slash BTS. Again, that's BTS as in behind the stays. All right, guys, back to the show. I, I do have to ask, so you're at CBRE, and then at what point in time, right? CBRE is like, you know, at this particular juncture anyways, like they're not a startup, right? And and AirDNA, at least from from my understanding, at the time, at, at least at the time that you joined was certainly still startup. <laughs> I think you guys would still consider yourselves very much a, a startup. Um, so so walk us through like that decision, because that must have been for, for lots of reasons, like scary, a big risk, also a, a really cool, fun idea. So at what point in time do you think, Huh? Maybe I want to do something else. And w- and were you interested in like going and working at a startup and then found AirDNA, or were you like, no, 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 I really love this company. I like the product. I w- I really want to go work here. Yeah, um, I really loved the the data and the product. Uh, I really loved the industry. And you were a user. Uh, so Sorry, you were a customer before. I, yeah, I was. I I think I was the first enterprise customer of AirDNA wow. uh, back in 2015. Wow. Uh, so I think you you remember if you were, were a customer of AirDNA, I think from the very beginning you would have seen CBRE's logo on ah. the site of like our top customers. So that and from the beginning I was I was a fan. Okay. Um, I was having to piece together data on the short-term rental industry, sort of pre-AirDNA. Um, so finding companies that would scrape, uh, finding I mean, any sort of data point I could get to. Uh, <laughs> and then when AirDNA started, I was like, oh, finally, uh, I called Scott. I was like, someone's collecting the data in the right way. Like, sign me up. Give me all your data. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so had been friends with Scott for years. Uh, he sort of described it as sort of a five-year uh, recruiting process for him to get me to come over. Uh, <laughs> that he always knew I was going to join. I just didn't know yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, and for me, it was it was it was two things. Uh, we we're during COVID, yeah. uh, so it was October of 2020 um, when I joined. Uh, the hotel industry was obviously in in dire straits. Uh, there was, and, um, and my job was forecasting the hotel industry. So it had been a really rough six months mm. of updating our forecast every month, uh, trying to sort of build a new infrastructure. Uh, but also at the time, managing a group of, uh, I think I had 13 direct reports. And I was wow. very much in a uh, management role uh, and not having the time to really dig into the data, which uh, that, that's what excites me on a day-to-day basis is actually getting to do the analysis, find the insights and explain them to uh, uh, groups and customers that are, are going to be able to and make actionable decisions off of that data. Yeah. Uh, so when Scott reached out and it was, there was no job description, there was no title. It was like, uh, you love our data. You, you derive a lot of insights out of it. Like we'd love you to come and join. Uh, and and get to do that on a day-to-day basis. And so for me of thinking broad picture of 
a management role where most of my time is one-on-ones. It's helping my employees sort of grow within their roles yeah. and sort of removing their barriers, uh, helping them succeed uh, to getting to sort of go back to an individual contributor role um, and then actually start building a research org within CVRE. So now, and I started it with or within Air DNA. Yeah. Um, I started I'm just myself, and now I've got a team of five. Wow. Uh, so we're we're really building that research org within Air DNA. So a lot of the things we were doing at CBRE, sort of at scale, we're now bringing to the short-term rental industry. And I think that that's a part of our industry evolving as we're being able to build these tools, build these sort of research products uh, for our industry to sort of act more efficiently. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like we probably should have done this a few minutes ago, but just uh, I th- most of the folks tuning into this conversation are well aware of AirDNA. But for the few that like might not know exactly, I might have heard of you all, but might not entirely understand what it is that you do. Can you just give us like the quick Shark Tank pitch for for what AirDNA yeah. is? <laughs> yeah, so we're a short term rental and data analytics company. Uh, so we collect um data on the performance of every short-term rental around the world. Uh, We do it through scraping. So we're looking at uh, the calendars of every listing on Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com. We're looking at, um, we're sort of pulling down all the info about those properties. Uh, We're looking at the movements in the calendar. So what is uh, booked, what is blocked, what's available, uh, the rate that that's available for. uh, We're estimating the revenue that each of those is getting. And we're sort of doing that every day. Uh, We've built a time series of that data going back to 2014. And then we've built a whole bunch of products uh, that are sort of sit around uh, that data set. And you guys are, I mean, who who, who would you say is like your biggest competitor? Because I, I feel like I don't know. Uh, anytime someone talks about Airbnb analytics, you guys are obviously the first people that they, they that they name drop. So like, who who are your competitors? Or who would you guys uh, consider your competitors to be, I guess? Yeah, uh, it really depends on the product set that you're looking at. Okay. Um, so we've got uh, some competitors uh, that really compete with us on the enterprise side. Okay. Um, yep. So that's when we're selling to uh, DMOs, um, vacation rental managers, um, uh, groups like that. And uh, those are companies like Key Data, Transparent, uh, C Transparent. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Those are sort of the main competitors there. Okay. Uh, and then on the Airbnb host uh, sort of investor side, uh, there's companies like uh, Mashvisor, All the Rooms, yeah, uh, uh, that really are looking to provide tools for people to find where to invest, what are the best opportunities. Um, we also have a, a, a pricing tool. So our, our smart rates product, which we compete with, uh, beyond pricing with price labs, yep. with wheelhouse okay. on. Yeah. Uh, yep. so really, I, you look at all the things we provide, uh, there's a variety of different, um, uh, competitors that we have in each one of those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Appreciate you talking about that. Um, I am curious, what are in the in the last week or two, what are some interesting insights uh, you can pull from what you guys have have talked about on SDR Data Lab if you if you'd like, but um, any any, you know, particularly interesting insights that that might surprise listeners today of, of things that you're seeing, even, even if, you know, the data is not fully in yet, like where, where are things trending? What are what are a couple things that are that are are worth paying attention to in your in your mind? Yeah, I'm. The data point that I probably look at <laughs> most often um, is one that's that's not even on our website. Um, so we uh, typically report on um, stays. So okay. how many stays are happening um, and in any month? What are the rate being? What's the rate being paid? What's the occupancy? Uh, but what I look at really closely, and especially today. Um, is nights booked. Mm. So how many uh, reservations, how many nights got booked over the previous month, over the previous week uh, for future travel? Uh, and that sort of gives me a real-time indicator of of what is the appetite for travel? Are people pulling back? 
is there uh, a sort of caution in future bookings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 that's actually been surprisingly strong hmm. given all the uncertainty that's out there. So I I think there's a strong likelihood we're we'll be in a recession next year yeah. at some point, even yeah. if it is a mild recession. Uh, and and that's impacting consumer sentiment. That's impacting the stock market. Yeah. Uh, that's impacting incomes and, and what people and have to spend um, disposable income. Uh, and, and we're seeing a pullback broadly in spending. Hmm. So people spending less on goods, uh, we see what that impact has had on Amazon stock, on Walmart, on Target, like on all these companies sort of that have done so well during the pandemic uh, are seeing a pullback in, in what people are, are willing and able to spend on their on their products. Yeah. And we're not seeing that in travel. And, and ever, so Hilton reported uh, last week, uh, Marriott reports uh, tomorrow, Airbnb is reporting today sort of all these companies sort of in the travel space yeah. are booming. Yeah. Uh, bookings that we're seeing in our our platform are booming. Hmm. People are not pulling back on travel, even though they're pulling back in all these other aspects of, of spend. Yeah, yeah. Do you, why, why exactly do you think that that is? Is, is? Do you think, Jamie, it's because, you know, more and more people consider travel to be, to be a necessity right today it's like it's like no 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 like in a culture where we do more more so than ever before value sort of like pulling away and you know uh logging off and you know uh uh closing the laptops right reconnecting with with nature mindfulness like uh, you know insert your favorite buzzword here do, do you feel like it's more of a cultural development in that now travel isn't particularly seen as a as a luxury good but as a as a necessity or, or what do you think is going on here uh, I think part of it uh, is sort of the the broader secular shift yeah. of away from goods and towards experiences, mm. and that we we're seeing pre-COVID yeah. of of people want to connect, uh, they want to get out and experience things, and and there's less of an uh, impetus on material goods. Yeah, mm. that for obvious reasons shifted towards goods during the pandemic yeah, and people couldn't travel. Uh, they still wanted to buy things. They, st they still wanted to spend. They had a whole lot of savings from not going out to eat from not traveling. Uh, and they, they, uh, they spent a lot of that money, but they saved a lot. Yeah. Um, we still have, it's like $2.1 trillion of excess savings sort of saved up during the pandemic. Uh, and there was, there's still so much pent up demand for travel. Uh, and then you sort of combine that with the sort of broader push towards experiences yeah. um, that I think has accelerated. Um, and if you think long-term, I think travel is going to continue to be the fastest growing aspect of our economy. Hmm. And if you look at the types of travel, short-term rentals, is going to over-index on that. So short-term rentals could be one of the fastest-growing long-term growth um, aspects of the economy over the next 10 years. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a lot to take in, but uh, you're not the only one talking <laughs> about this. So um, there, 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 must be, there must be something here. Hey, guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review. 
please. All right, guys, back to the show. I was thinking as you're talking, Jamie, about like my own like travel behavior, and I, I travel. A, uh, I've always traveled a fair amount for work, but I think about like my personal travel in, in just the last year, right? And I have probably gone on three or four more trips than I would personally this past in in, in just 2022 um, than than previous years. And this is you know pre COVID too. And I was thinking about like, oh wow, yeah, why is that the case? And why I think it's the case is you know for myself and you know many of my peers. Because we can work remotely, we actually take workcations a lot, like like way more frequently than we ever did. It used to be, hey, everyone's got it. You got to find a time. You got to coordinate with your friends. Everyone's got to find the same week that they can take off. And it was such a cluster. Now it's like regularly we can go for four, five, you know, four four night weekend or whatever it is. Work remotely Friday and Monday, and then have time together Saturday and Sunday. And so I'm I'm sure that that that's a dynamic at play here as well. Yeah, the, and flexibility has is, is really changed travel. Uh, it's pushed uh, length of stays longer. Um, it's it's uh, created more demand for and full-week trips for midday stays. That was a trend we really called out during 2001 um, and continuing to 2002. It's like Tuesday, Wednesday travel is booming for short-term rentals when yeah. it was Typically, like uh, a time when no one was staying because it was like maybe you could get the weekend stays, maybe a long weekend, and now and people are making it four or five day, six day trips. Yeah, because uh, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna make that drive, if you're gonna make that flight, why not stay the week? Yeah, if you can work um, uh, in um, when you're when you're there. Yeah, yeah. so we're seeing more and more of that. Um, I think we saw it in Europe this summer mm. uh, with the strength of the dollar, uh, how cheap that made Europe. Yeah. And Americans like traveled overseas in droves. Yeah. Uh, and it's something I wasn't expecting so quickly to come back. The strong dollar definitely, I think, accelerated that. Uh, but if you think about that sort of playing out into the future, so if people are going to travel, they're going to travel for longer. They're going to make, and uh, they're going to do more frequent trips. And when they do travel, they're going to be um, and, um, uh, making more out of that time. Yeah, and they're going to and sort of combining work and work and um, leisure. Uh, I think long term, that's that's just great for our business. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What also what also seems to be happening too is like. Well, group travel and like extended family travel has always been a thing. I, at least in my circles, and when I talk to, to folks, it seems like that's also like uh, there, there's we've seen an uptick in that because of short term rentals, right? This idea that yep. oh hey wow we can get like a you know quote unquote like mansion if we all chip in, everyone's still got their own little like nook of the house, right? But then we can spend time together. Like that's yep. way more affordable than renting out ten different hotel rooms for everybody, right? So like, there's also that sort of like shift, which I think is is making, especially as we've seen sort of like way more investment in in strs and folks really building out these incredibly well-designed spaces it just it, it feels like a mini resort depending on the you know the property that you might be looking at right which again just increases uh chances that extended families might actually want to all stay together if they can have a beautiful luxurious experience and actually also save money in the aggregate so lots of really interesting dynamics at play here for sure yeah and if you think i'm Length of stays are getting longer, and once uh, the length of stay goes over that sort of four or five day mark, people are have a much higher propensity to stay in a short term rental compared to a hotel. Mm. Uh, that sort of broad trend is going to really help uh, the short term rental industry. Yeah, yeah. I want I want to talk and pick your brain uh, around pricing strategies because one of the questions that we get from hosts a lot is like. Hey, you know, everyone says we should be using dynamic pricing tools. Seems like an an obvious solution. Then you've also got folks saying, ah, gosh, wow, like I am, it feels like, you know, again, it's all about feeling, right? It feels like I'm losing money on my night, on my nightly rate, right? And so like what, uh, how, how should, uh, you know, savvy STR hosts think about pricing tools? How should folks think about their pricing strategies? Anything that you're seeing or that you've learned over the years that's, that's worth really paying attention to right now in this, in this moment? Yeah, I think um, one with dynamic pricing, it's not always about sort of raising rates to sort of meet uh, high demand during peak periods. Mm. Um, and that's the that's the obvious like, oh, there's a, 
uh, event coming into town, like I should have raised my rate double yeah, to because yeah. I was sort of leaving money on the table. The other piece is how much do you need to discount your rate to actually drive bookings during non-peak periods? Yeah. Uh, because I mean, if you're doing this full time, if you've got sort of dedicated properties and sort of maintaining occupancy is, is a big piece of sort of long-term profitability. Uh, and if we are seeing changing dynamics of an increasing demand during weekdays or are decreasing demand during uh, certain periods of time, I'm uh, managing your rates to sort of meet that strategy of if you're sort of wanting to, to maximize occupancy, um, you really do have to uh, adjust rates during those periods. Uh, and we're seeing really different seasonality today hmm. than we had seen pre-COVID. Um, so in some periods that were considered off season or shoulder season are now extended peak season. Uh, and if you're not maintaining those rates sort of deeper into the season or starting them, um, earlier, you, you might be losing out. Uh, and then more and more people are because of the work component are willing to travel during different periods. Um, and a lot of ways there's, um, you can sort of incentivize those longer trips with the rate. So maybe someone booked a three day trip. Um, maybe they would have made that five days if they would have seen like what that sort of, final uh, price, yeah. uh, yeah. price would have been for that five day trip. And there's ways to incentivize people and, and two extra days that you would have not otherwise sold with no extra sort of cleaning fee associated with it can, can be an easy win and sort of instant profit for you. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, uh, so, so well said. You're a kick-ass Airbnb host. In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping, it's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping. Brought to you by Spontaneous. I'm curious, like what what you think about the whole direct booking movement and how hosts should think about, you know, balancing their presence on on OTAs and then also sort of like building their own self sustaining brands. There's obviously been a lot of talk about this recently in the industry. Yeah. Um, I, everyone's got, got opinions on this and, and I'm curious, like, like how you see it as, as again, somebody who, uh, has been, I don't know if you're still currently an Airbnb host, but somebody who has been a host. Right. But then also somebody who looks at all of this data, right? Like what I, I'm really, I'm really interested in like your thoughts on this. Yeah. Uh, and one, what Airbnb has done is amazing, right? Yeah. You can <laughs> create a listing today, uh, rent out your room tomorrow with, um, zero to little, cost associated with that yeah. uh, is, is, is incredible. Uh, once you sort of build that broader into a business and especially if you're relying on the income yeah. uh, for it, uh, that becomes a major risk mm. uh, that 
um, and for any reason, uh, Airbnb, Verbo, Booking, whatever sort of the platform you're relying on could remove that listing um, uh, is a risk that and for a lot of people is is too much of a risk yeah. and that you shouldn't um, necessarily rely on just uh, one one OTA for, mm. for all of your revenue. Uh, so as much as you can to diversify that. So um, I think starting out, it's diversifying your OTA. So it's being listed on multiple platforms. So if w- there was a problem with one, um, you're not going to zero yeah. uh, and that you're pushing uh, to to get bookings through other platforms. And it's not just Verbo and booking. It's it's Hopper. It's uh, home to go. It's there's a lot of other sites out there, even niche sites uh, that you can be putting your 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 uh, listing on and that can uh, incrementally diversify from uh, one of the major ones. Yeah. Uh, once I, if you do have sort of some uniqueness to your property, if you are in uh, in a unique location or um, have something that could and give you that opportunity to have a, a direct booking site. I think that's great. There's so many more options today than there were maybe three or four years ago uh, to efficiently build that site, maintain it, connect it to your PMS, uh, push that out through multiple channels um, and I'm sort of uh, maintain that. I, I think that is a great option and, and once you sort of push through being on multiple OTAs, that I would uh, sort of have that direct booking side as well. Yeah, I um, I, I heard this. Uh, uh, I was talking to a couple a couple buddies in the space, and um, somebody was saying that uh, an analogy here, which isn't a perfect one, um, is that Airbnb is like the TikTok. I don't know how much you follow like creator the creator economy and and whatnot, but like Airbnb is like the TikTok, and building your own direct booking site is, is like YouTube, right? Where like a lot of TikTok creators, you got to be on TikTok because that's where attention is, right? That's where that's where you'll get discovered. But as soon as you're yep. discovered, like it's really, really hard to build loyalty and retention on TikTok. And so that's why you see all these TikTok creators saying like, hey, sub- you know, follow me, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Here's a link to my YouTube channel. Like <laughs> come find me on YouTube. And YouTube's, you know, incentives for creators are just uh, significantly greater than, than that of TikToks. So in a similar way, it, it would seem to me like, Folks who are just starting out, right? You're you're gonna need the reach that Airbnb has if you are committed to building a brand in the space for yourself. If you are committed to seeing this as as, as a real business, right, and not just a way to maybe make a little bit of extra cash on the weekends, um, it, there, there's a ticking time bomb, or not, maybe not, maybe yep. it's not even a ticking time time bomb, but maybe it's like there, there's a time at which you're gonna have to decide. All right, how do I, you know decrease the percentage of bookings that are coming from one OTA or even OTAs in general and increase the percentage of bookings coming from my direct booking site. Yeah. And I I think it does depend on your location too. Mm. Um, So if you're in a destination where you get people coming back year after year after year uh, and you can sort of remove the OTA fees associated with that and having people book direct uh, once they've uh, you've sort of built a rapport with them, uh, Airbnb becomes your marketing site. Yeah. Uh, and then once you sort of build that relationship, you can have a direct relationship with those um, uh, guests uh, and have them booking directly with you. That uh, maybe is uh, less of an impetus in cities uh, where it's yeah. a lot of people coming for uh, one time. Yeah. But, yeah. And even in my unit that I had in, in Atlanta, I had a significant portion of direct bookings because it was people that had stayed with me and were coming back yeah. and wanted to stay again. And we sort of just moved that off platform and, um, and, and, uh, saved a lot of money. You know, you know what I don't, what I don't like Jamie or like what, what, what I'm frustrated by about the whole like direct booking movement is I, I don't feel like, like the, the direct booking sites, the most I'd say by and large, right. They they they're pretty ugly. Like the the experience is like really shitty for for guests, right? Like I I, I can't remember if I told you this um, offline or not, but my wife and I we lived full time on Airbnb for 15 months, so we stayed in like 65 different Airbnbs over the course of that time, and we we st- you know we, we wouldn't even book through Verbo simply because like the UX maybe we're just extra, but like the UX was like it was so it was so bad. It was like why do all these photos look like a thousand times worse than you know the same listing on Airbnb? And we just we, we trusted the brand more, right? Which is why we went with Airbnb. 
since coming into the space a little bit more and like looking at you know several of the players, several of the PMSs that that offer you know these these uh, direct booking sites for free, I, I, what I just can't get over is like why why can't they look better? Like why why has nobody come in and built like a an Airbnb? Like I think about what like you know Shopify did. Like Shopify did a really yep. good job at building these really beautiful attractive storefronts so you could actually compete with like an amazon right and and i i don't feel like that has quite been done in in this space yet i don't know correct me if i'm wrong yeah i i have seen some direct booking um and sort of site builders out there that sort of and copy the airbnb look and feel yeah um i i don't have any names i can sort of name drop here but um and there, there are quite a few at Verma. Uh, yeah. That's what, like one of the benefits of going to Verma is seeing all the new sort of wares that people have yeah. for, for vacation rental managers, for hosts. Uh, I do get a sense that most of these are, are, are more expensive. They're, um, they're going after the large vacation rental yeah. managers yeah. for them to build their own booking sites. So they're not necessarily sort of drag and drop uh, for, that the average host could probably leverage. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's an opportunity for somebody. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely. A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple of final questions for you, Jamie. Um, uh, one is just around like, what are what are some hot takes you have about the future of of travel and hospitality? You, you've shared a couple of them already, but like, what are what what are some things that when you have the time to sit back, relax, and kind of think a little bit more deeply about the future of the industry? Like, what are what are you excited about? What do you what are your hot takes? Um. And one is just the continued flexibility around work. Mm. Like, I don't think it's going away. The, and looks like you're um, in a house. In my closet, uh, yeah. You're, you're <laughs> in your closet. <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here in a, a, a beautiful uh, tiny home uh, working today. Uh, uh, the flexibility that we've all, uh, I wouldn't say earned, but sort of, uh, garnered mm. during the pandemic, um, sort of accelerated that trend, um, probably in 10 years. Mm. Uh, and, um, I, I don't think that's going away. I think it, uh, has, uh, it has changed. And we've talked about it changed the way we travel. And I think there's going to be, and we haven't seen it yet, I think, because of the pandemic. Uh, but I think there's going to be so many companies that get started, um, maybe started this year, starting in the next year, that sort of um, cater to the way we're going to live and work in the future mm. uh, and sort of pick up on uh, this work remote, um, wanting to travel, wanting to spend 15 months uh, traveling around with yeah. your wife. Yeah. Uh, and you probably sort of I had so many pain points that went along with making that work. Yeah. Uh, that companies are going to solve and make that easy. Uh, I did that with my wife in, in 2016. Oh, wow. uh, and it, it hurt. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, but it, it was not easy by any means. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Both uh, sort of uh, making it work with uh, with and with CPRE, uh, but also uh, and functionally like making it work while we were traveling. Yeah, uh, and uh, I think so many more people uh, are gonna be able to experience that, and there's gonna be a lot of companies that sort of make that easy for for people to do in the future. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I think it's like a it's a really fun time to be in this space too because I was having a, a conversation with um uh, another friend uh, a couple of days ago, and he was remarking just how there's there's still a lot of like old practices and a lot of like old school approaches um to to this industry, right? Like you've got a lot of mom and pop shops that have been around a long time, or even people that have built huge you know uh, wealth in this space, but have very antiquated ways of of operating and how there's just a it's a kind of a prime time for entrepreneurs to kind of come into this space look for problems maybe problems that existed in, in other industries and figure out okay what are the right solutions to build here for for this this massive massive space yeah and it's a 120 i think 129 billion dollar industry globally right now short-term yeah. rentals hmm. uh there is 
so much money coming to the space, so much demand. And I think when you, and I touched on it a uh, bit of just like what we see for long-term growth in this sector yeah. really sort of justifies more and more companies sort of in, in investing more in the space. And yeah. we're all going to benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, this has been, um, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate your, your time and, and all the great work that you all are doing at, at AirDNA for folks that want to learn more about AirDNA. Um, what's, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah. Our, our website is airdna.co. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, uh, Jamie Lane or on Twitter. Um, feel free to, to follow. Um, uh, and then, uh, you mentioned it, our, our, our podcast, the SDR data lab, uh, please, uh, subscribe. Wonderful. Yeah. We will drop all those links in the show notes, including the links to the podcast. Um, so folks who are tuning in, if you want to just go follow Jamie, you can do so. If you want to go subscribe to his podcast, you can do so as well. Thank you, sir, for your time. It's been a, it's been a privilege. Yeah. Thanks for having me and the opportunity to, to talk. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe. Um, And thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.